Good morning, my fellow I people. Thank you all so much for joining us on this wonderful day. Ahead, we have a look at how FaceTime can make its way into a future HomePod or Apple TV. High refresh displays could finally appear in this year's iPhone 13 for silky smooth scrolling. And a brand new line of iPad Pro is, crossing my fingers, just around the corner. We are all set to unwrap the tech of today. But first, let's check in with our special guest, Mr. iDevice Help. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. Hanging in there. Yep. So tell the listeners about how you got started on YouTube. What was your journey? What does that look like? Well, honestly, when I first started YouTube uh, back in the day, I want to say about six, seven years ago, um, not really many people knew what YouTube meant and what it would what become today. Um, now it's just something entirely different. But when I started, I started with an iPod Touch. That opened my, my world to the iPhone, to everything else, because I couldn't really afford an iPhone. So I started with an iPod. It was the phone without the phone, right? That's what Apple used to used to say. It was yeah. having every feature on the iPhone except the phone, and it was more affordable. So that kind of got me started. I know I started messing around with jailbreaking, which is something that I don't do as much now, but that kind of got me started then. And then uh, just my interest sparked from there. I started messing around with iPhone when I first uh, was able to buy an iPhone. Uh, the first iPhone I ever bought with my own money was iPhone 4. Yeah, iPhone 4 was the first. But the first iPhone I did own was iPhone 3G. Then I went and bought the original iPhone. So I went backwards. Oh, okay. And then I kept going from there uh, after. But actually, my parents bought the first ones for me. And then I went from there. Interesting. So... When you started out, it was there were there weren't any really there weren't real real resources at that time as far as learning how to be the quote unquote influencer. You guys weren't even called that back then. Are there any no, resources? No, not a, not not at all. Are there any resources that you would recommend now for people that look up to you and, and want to become a YouTuber? I think you're you're your own resource when it comes to personal you know creating your own thing because YouTube is all about you know. As a matter of fact, it was broadcast, YouTube broadcast yourself back then. So it was it was more like you being creative, you coming up with ideas on how to transmit information. And it, it's fun to me this till this day. I feel that way till this day. Um, but the one thing I always say that if you want to become a YouTuber and, and you want to be successful at it, you have to really love what you're doing. Like you can't just go on YouTube and expect to be successful if you're going to do something you don't appreciate and love doing because you're just going to get tired of it. I wake up every day. I love what I do. I love doing research. I love digging through iOS, iPadOS. I love testing all of these devices, and it makes me want to do it every single day. So consistency every day and just loving what you do, I think, is the key to kind of be successful on YouTube. Because if you don't like what you do, you're just not going to do it. It's, you'll, you'll burn out. Yeah, that's very important. You'll burn out. Yeah, yeah. And there's times where um, I'm pretty sure uh, other fellow YouTubers can, can relate to this where you feel like you need a break because yeah, sometimes it's so much software that Apple is pushing, so many products, so much to cover that it is fun, but at the same time, overwhelming in some cases. And you have to kind of like push back and say, you know, maybe I need a little bit of a break. I don't want to burn myself and end up not liking what I do. Uh, but yeah, it, it, to me to this day is like the first day, every day that I wake up and come up with a video idea or present something to my audience. So it sounds like you have a routine. Do you do you kind of like prepare like, oh, shoot, it's a Tuesday. I better get ready because the beta is going to drop today and set my, yeah, my well, whole yeah, break up and everything. That's right. That's right. Because uh, as we know, Apple time, kind of falls into a pattern mm-hmm. for oftentimes for software releases. Sometimes they're predictable, sometimes unpredictable, as the last two years have been sort of unpredictable. Um, but for the most part, they can be predictable. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I just look at my calendar and look at my schedule and say, well, I think Apple might release this next beta on a Tuesday, which is normally what they do. I mean, we're in beta, whatever beta it is, and then we just kind of calculate from there, or I calculate from there based on experience. And then I kind of do my schedule from there. I always do sort of a must-download app towards the end of the week, which launched today. Uh, and then throughout the beginning of the week, I'll have some tips and tricks videos, something that the audience really likes. They, they really engage with those types of videos. I give them some of that content. And then Tuesdays, that's when I do the follow-up for the software. And towards the weekend, I then follow up with the additional information for that software that dropped earlier in the week. Excellent. Pretty much what I do. Excellent. Yeah. So you, you really, if, if you're going to dedicate to YouTube, you have to be really regimented, it sounds like, especially with, with you tech YouTube. To. Because you have to keep track of yeah. when certain software is dropping, things like that, products. Um, mm -hmm. When you were first starting out and, you know, you were reviewing things, did you ever just buy something just to review it and then return it afterward? I have. Yeah, you when have? I first started, I couldn't afford to buy, you know, two iPhones or, you know, nothing like that. It wasn't like that. It was just... Okay, I have 400 bucks. Uh, I got to buy, I don't know, this new pair of earbuds or whatever Apple released at the time. And then I say, you know, I, now they released something else and I, I don't have the money. So I have to kind of play around with the budget because I was, yeah. I was just young. I was just starting and it was just for the fun of it. So I'd have to buy a phone and then return it and then buy something else and then return it or keep it or decide what to do with it. Yeah. So now it's a little more easier. It's easier, I, c I can say, uh, with, it, with that. But uh, back then it, was, it wasn't easy at all. <laughs> I bet. You know, you know, for people that are just getting started, do you recommend filming with an iPhone? Um, you know what? Believe it or not, I did film a bunch of my videos at first. When I first bought that iPhone that I mentioned, uh, the iPhone 4 and the 4S, I did film some of those videos from that iPhone using my iPod Touch. So the iPod Touch would be on camera and the iPhone would be my, my, my recording camera. Uh, because I didn't have really a studio camera or lighting or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, the iPhone camera is so good. It's so good, in my opinion, that you could get away with it if you're just wanting to just share some brief information. You don't want to do anything real professional, you know, anything like that. If you just want to shoot and go, you can use iMovie to edit it and just shoot it on your iPhone. And I think you can relate really good content that way because the technology has gotten in my opinion really really good well it's to the point where some creators are mentioning oh yeah i film my videos on an iphone and, and i think to myself why wow, I, I didn't even realize the video looks so good it doesn't you yeah, can't tell it yeah. comes from a mobile phone yeah once once uh final cut pro comes to the ipad i think a lot of creators are going to switch over from a mac to editing on iPad because sometimes I do some lightweight editing on iPad and it's just to me so much faster to do it. You so, so that's interesting. So yeah. you think with what little you can do with things like iMovie, LumaFusion, things like that, you're saying you're saying that your editing is a bit faster on an iPad? In my opinion, yes. That's really yes. cool. So I, you are using you my the hands to edit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. Using gestures and things to me feels more fluent than using the trackpad. Because I've, I've always is. wondered that, you know, you know, we have, and it's going to come up in the show uh, a little bit later, we're talking about, you know, the M1 sort of making its way to the iPad in the form of an A14X, at least that'll be the marketing yep. name. And if Apple mm -hmm. starts bringing things like Thunderbolt and, and you know, these insane, insane machine learning engines and things like that, you really start to think, you know, well, why hasn't Final Cut made its way uh, to the mm -hmm. iPad? And it, it's important because... A lot of people that work with these programs like Final Cut 
are so reliant on keyboard shortcuts and commands and trackpad yep. gestures and things like that. Do you think that because the iPad is on the cheaper side compared to something like, say, a MacBook, mm. do you think yeah. the new era of creators will feel more at home pinching and pushing and using multi-touch for editing, just doing everything with their fingers? Do you think that's the new age of editing? I think that's going to be the new age of editing, absolutely. I think Apple is going to eventually just kind of merge the softwares or the, the experiences mm -hmm. all together. I'm not saying that maybe the Mac will get a touchscreen. It's a possibility. We never know. Apple hasn't done it yet. But um, I bet Apple is putting all bets on iPad. I mean, iPad is, there's nothing else more recognizable in the tablet world than an iPad, you know? And uh, when Final Cut comes to the iPad, which hopefully it does within the next year, I think M1, as you mentioned, the A14X, which is rumored to come to the iPad, is a key element to make that processing power happen on an iPad to bring pros over to the iPad and edit as their workflow brings you know, all their workflow over to iPad because I think that's going to be the future. Definitely. You know, I find myself every year replacing more tasks on the iPad versus the MacBook mm -hmm. because the iPad has just become yeah. so powerful and it's always been so versatile. So the more that exactly. developers really start to adopt it in, in a professional sense with real photo and video editing tools, uh, it just gets more and more exciting every year. Again, I've, I've transitioned most of my tasks to the iPad. And when it comes to design, I'm a huge graphic designer. When it comes to design, I always go to pick up the iPad. And I'm, run, I'm running a 2018 12.9 inch. So I find myself, yeah. I, interestingly enough, reaching for that 2018 iPad more so than my 2020 M1 Mac. You know, I, I know yeah. that my M1 can run circles around my iPad, but when it comes to graphic design and anything artistic, I, I have to grab that iPad. And it really shows, like you said, the, the versatility of the iPad in that sense. It's an indispensable tool as a creator. Yeah, and I think the uh, A14X or the M1, whatever they decide to call it, is going to have a huge role on, on Final Cut and compression and all that good stuff happening over on iPad. Pretty Definitely. Sure. So sort of shifting the conversation away from iPad, moving on over to iPhone for a little bit, uh, we're hearing reports uh, from the ELEC, and they're saying Samsung is planning to begin making low-temperature polycrystalline oxide thin-film transistor OLED displays for Apple. So that's this LTPO. You hear that LTPO a lot. It's a yeah, buzzword, the LTPO, right? which is yeah, which is now available on on watch on the Apple Watch Six. Yeah, uh, for the always-on display, you know. So yeah, it makes a ton of sense. So does. the deal here is LTPO is it's more power efficient and it allows for this dynamic refresh rate that, as you mentioned, the watch has, for example, where it can sort of up and down clock the, the refresh mm -hmm. rate of the screen depending on what you're doing with the device. For instance, right. when the watch is just hanging down and you're walking around and you need to glance at the time, it's only maybe refreshing that screen at one hertz, you know, one time yep. per second just so you can glance at the time. Versus when you start picking it up and playing with it, it needs to hop, you know, up clock itself right up to 60 hertz so you can start pinching and pushing and scrolling, whatever it may be. So when we hear, you know, dy dynamic refresh rate, it's been one of the most requested features uh, on the iPhone since it made its way to the iPad back in 2017. Um, Apple dubs it ProMotion. That's their marketing name for it. And yeah. this allows for silky through smooth scrolling you can watch movies and music videos that are true to life. Oh, that's actually, amazing. It's yeah, amazing. Actually I mean, I have it on my iPad. Correct frame rate. Yeah. So it's, it's just, this is just something that anybody with an iPad Pro 
knows and loves. Anybody with an Android phone knows and loves. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things yeah. where it's long overdue for for the iPhone. And and we heard last year that Apple just wasn't getting the yield that it needed from from Samsung um, in order to deliver these chips at such a massive scale. This is you know one of the best selling smartphones, iPhone, uh, in the world. And and so Apple Apple really needed the the yield there as far as the screens and Samsung just couldn't deliver um, the the high order that Apple demanded. Um, but it says here, according to the elect, that the LTPO 120 hertz refresh rate displays will make their way to the iPhone 13 this year. Lots of people corroborating this: Takara, Ming Chi Ko, all these guys are in on this. Will this be game changing for you, or do you think? My question to you would be, do you think this is one of those things where only the nerds are going to appreciate it like you and me, or do you think the masses are really going to notice a difference? Well, it depends on how Apple markets things. Well, Apple is a master of marketing things, uh, but uh, I think it's going to be a game changer because this will enable a whole world of possibilities that you can physically look at. The display is the first thing you look at on, a, on an iPhone, right, or any device when you grab it, any, any phone, you look at the display. That's the first thing that grabs you. If it can do something that the other one can't, that's a bonus point. Like the iPhone 12 can't do this, right? So that, that could be a selling point, right? So always on display, obviously, and the adaptive refresh rate. I think the adaptive uh, refresh rate is something more for the nerds, right? So mm-hmm. uh, maybe I would notice this, but the average consumer just doesn't really, I don't think that they don't really care but really, it doesn't matter as much, I would say, to the average consumer because, I mean, take a look at the iPhone XR, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a sub-20p display, and it sold incredibly well. So that just shows you that, the, I guess, the Apple consumer just doesn't really dig into this type of feature uh, sets, right? But it, it looks like this could be a game changer because of the, the ability of the uh, LTPO display being able to change its refresh rates. Well, here's the thing. I would argue that the, the dynamic refresh rate, the dynamic aspect of it, is perhaps the most important thing for the consumer because Apple likes to design technology in a way where it becomes invisible, right? They always say, oh, mm-hmm. you're conscious of only what you're doing and not the device you're doing yeah. it with. The technology kind of fades away. And they, you know, they very much did the same thing with things like 5G where you know, it can turn itself on and off dynamically so it's not completely eating up your battery. It's kind mm-hmm. of only on when you need yeah. it, and you don't have to think about it turning on. Um, so I could see Apple applying the same thing in terms of a dynamic refresh rate like they've done with the iPad on the iPhone where the user, the average user doesn't have to think about toggling it on and off like they would have to do on an Android device because it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of bouncing back and forth between frame, frame rates as needed. They, they want mm-hmm. the feature to be helpful when you need it, but also fade away when you don't. And, yeah. and when I say fade away, that that also comes with you know with battery life. Battery life plays a huge role in that because yes, LTPO is a lot more power efficient. But if you have if you have the display constantly refreshing at 120 hertz, that yeah. can really it's gonna eat the battery up. Yeah, eat quick. the battery up like crazy. And we've seen that on on Android phones. So it's mm-hmm. it's really one of those things where Apple kind of wants the technology to fade away, and they want to integrate it in their own way. Yeah. Oftentimes, Apple isn't the first at many things, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, Apple is more of a sit back, wait and see what happens. And when it's ready, it's ready. If it's not, then it's not. And I've seen this happen over time. I've been covering iPhone software for sure, for like seven, seven years now. And I've seen this happen before. Apple brings a piece of software over to the iPhone. And then when it's ready, you don't really even notice it. Like it's just there, like you said, and it just fades away with the technology. It's just you use it and it's there. That's it. 
You have to worry about it. Well, you think about things like, you know, obviously like AirPods, you know, this Bluetooth mm -hmm. LE integration along with their proprietary silicon, their chips, offers this this unparalleled level of convenience as far as pairing and unpairing your devices. And we don't think about that, but it took Apple probably so many years to, to materialize this idea of what they wanted yeah. a pair of headphones to be. And, and so mm -hmm. we talk a lot about that, about how Apple molds their products. And like you said, it doesn't rest on its laurels, but it definitely, um, people say Apple doesn't innovate anymore. That's, that's definitely not the case. They're innovating perhaps faster than they ever have, but it's a matter of perfecting these technologies so that they're ready for the massives and the massive and they're not they're not difficult to toggle. They're just there when you need them. Yeah, yeah. Ease of use. Mm -hmm. That's the key word for, for Apple right there. So we have a new report from Mark Gurman today, and he's revealed that Apple has been developing new speakers, new home pods, presumably, that are packed with screens and cameras. He suggests that we could see a future with HomePod-like devices that are built with FaceTiming and other functions built in. What do you think about that? Uh, once again, this makes a ton of sense. And I remember when this report came out, uh, I was in the kitchen, I believe, and my, my fiance said, you know, um, Apple just discontinued the original HomePod. You know, we love it. That's You might want to buy another one. And I was like, you know what, just because the HomePod, and I went on Twitter and tweeted about it, just because the original HomePod uh, was discontinued does not mean it won't evolve. And it's exactly what I tweeted about. Mm -hmm. um, it makes a ton of sense. Google is in this space. Amazon is in this space where you have a speaker slash with screen on it, you know, and uh, Apple wants to build a hub. To me, Apple is going to most likely build a hub that has accessories like the HomePod mini, the Apple TV, your tablets, and this could serve as a hub. And it makes a ton of sense that Apple makes a face ID slash HomePod a speaker for the home. To me, it makes a ton of sense. So for, for you, when you speak for yourself, do you think this would replace in your home any, any Google or Nest stuff that you already have set up? I don't know if you use that at all. So the thing with Apple is, of course, ecosystems. So since I'm so bought into the ecosystem at this point where most of my products are Apple products, mm -hmm. um, this will just be the home run, right? Because then I can just have a hub for all of my products, which Apple kind of uses the Apple TV in a, some form, you know, as the hub for the home. But I think this next HomePod product will be that product that brings everything together, at least in the home. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, that when you purchase an Apple TV, it really becomes your home hub. It's the, it's the device mm -hmm. that pings everything else, mm -hmm. you, you know, your speakers, yeah. your phones, everything else. It's, it's sending information constantly. It plays a role if you use something like Eero or any other company yeah. that integrates, uh, it plays a role in encrypting your Wi-Fi network and protecting you privacy-wise. So it's, it's, it's a huge infrastructure that you can see Apple sort of building in front of us. And again, they're, taking, they're thinking yeah. very carefully about how they do it to make sure that everything aligns with their values of, of privacy and security and, and this uh, you know, robust level of convenience that we come to expect from Apple products. Um, I, I myself, I'm the same way as, same way as you. I don't, um, I don't use any of the Google, Alexa, or anything like that. I'm chiefly just, just HomePod, Apple. Love being in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Love the privacy of it. Um, mm -hmm. However, when we look at the industry as a whole, you know, this would be a hard sell for a lot of people. Even dedicated Apple fans out there still rely heavily on these home hub, home hubs from uh, Google and Amazon uh, and things like that. So, you know, what do you think is going to be 
the the value proposition here with with Apple is it just going to be um, that improved level of integration in the ecosystem? What what do you think? What what do you think I, I is think, Apple's secret tool? Well, I think Apple is always going to be touting security and privacy. Mm-hmm. That's their number one thing. I believe that's going to be their number one uh, thing to achieve here because this is going to most likely have a camera, right, and a speaker and a microphone, so it's in your home. Um, they're definitely going to sell that to the maximum. Uh, quality, hopefully, is is good because, as we know, um, the original HomePod, believe it or not, I love it. I really love the original HomePod. I think the sound is amazing. So if they can bring that over and continue with that, uh, that's also a good selling point, in my opinion. And and if you're already sold into the Apple ecosystem, this is just tying it, everything together. Like, like I just said, uh, it makes a bunch of sense. Uh, others are in this space. Now, it's going to be a hard sell for those that are invested in the Google ecosystem or the Amazon ecosystem. Definitely. But uh, for, for Apple consumers and uh, uh, people that own Apple products, this is almost going to be a no-brainer because you know Apple is the genius of marketing, and they will make sure that you understand that, what it does and what it's capable of doing and how it's better and more private than other products out there you know we were talking about the the death of the original homepod on last week's show and we were sort of delving deep into some of the reasons why it was discontinued and one of the things that that, that we discussed was of course its limitations as far as siri goes compared to the competitors that are out there you know we talked about the idea that when apple started building homepod it was really centered around building uh, a great speaker a really uh, clear robust speaker uh, for for the home and it sounds to me kind of like apple just threw siri in as an afterthought like well this is the assistant we have and we see alexa and google are also doing their own assistants so we have to throw ours in there as well but i don't think the original vision was to create a smart home assistant it was to bring excellent sound into the average home yeah and and it was one of those things where apple was in the midst of materializing this vision that they had and by the time they had done that uh, alexa and google had already overtaken this industry so it's it's really important we have to think about you know what's the future of siri look like what is the future of that look like when people already have assistants that can answer all these obscure questions and complete all these different tasks that are programmable i mean anyone can actually if you're a nerd you can go out and buy your own arduino and program your Alexa to do whatever you want it to do. So, it, yeah. whereas Apple is a very closed ecosystem, so if they're marketing to the mass consumer, these devices have to emulate what HomePod Mini is doing. They have to look, they have to look great. They have to be cheaper. They have, you know, the aesthetics and everything has yeah. to be there. It's it's challenging because I feel like the major challenge here with Apple's smart speaker market is is definitely Siri. Yeah. Well, you know, I believe that when Apple started their project with HomePod, original HomePod, I don't believe that they were they had any intentions to uh, continue that HomePod. Now that it happened, now we see what Apple has done. But I always felt like the HomePod was their first entry, like to let people know we're going to be in your home. This is a speaker. Mm-hmm. This is what it could sound like. And just because Apple discontinued it didn't mean it was going to evolve, as I mentioned before. I mean, uh, think about iPhone, for example. How many iPhones have been discontinued? That doesn't mean they'd stop making iPhones. So, Definitely. you know, their vision, their vision to me was always, in my opinion, to make something bigger, just to enter the market, then bring the HomePod Mini into the game, have an accessory for the main hub, which 
It looks like to be the case now. In the future, we might see the bigger speaker now with the screen, with everything integrated. But it should mention uh, those who are invested in the Google ecosystem and, and, and the Android ecosystem, it's going to be a hard sell because, as we know, Apple usually enters the market with a premium price. We all know that. So if this doesn't compel enough uh, customers with a good price, uh, for the value that you're getting, then yeah, Google and uh, Amazon are just going to continue to dominate the market, no doubt about that. Uh, but I think Apple is really targeting first quality, and then uh, their customers, and then maybe maybe expanding with other other additional accessories. Yeah, it's really important looking forward. It it really depends on the value proposition of Siri. How are they going to improve mm-hmm. it in the in the years to come? Yeah, Siri's been a hard, hard project for Apple, and I can just sense it, you know? Not that I have any inside information, but just Siri's been struggling since the beginning. And uh, I know they went all in it, and I remember when they bought Siri for the first mm-hmm. time. I remember it was a standalone application. And just Siri's been one of those things that it just feels, for me, at least since I've been covering iOS for such a long time, it's just... It's always been hard for Apple to make it right, I guess you can say. I mean, even the UI experience for iPhone and iPad is different. Um, The interaction with the software with both platforms is different. And uh, I I think it's it's always been a hard situation for Apple to get Siri in the right path. Well, we have John J. Andrea. Uh, Previously, he worked at Google, and he's made his way to Apple. Uh, He joined Apple uh, late last year. Uh, as Senior VP of Machine Learning and Artificial Intelligence at Apple. So hope is is definitely on the horizon. Yeah. I I read about that article, yeah. Sorry, not last year. uh, December 2018. It's quite a while. Mm -hmm. Look how time flies when you're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I also thought (laughs) it was 19, honestly. Yeah, but John G. Andrea, he he was was previously involved in Netscape and things like that, but he he is thought to be... Uh, the machine learning and artificial intelligence guru of the valley. And so to have him on board at Apple kind of, again, leaves hope on the horizon for, for Siri. We're just kind of waiting to see. And like you said, Siri is so segmented between platforms. You know, it may answer a question on the phone that it doesn't answer on the watch. And now you have a speaker mm-hmm. in the mix. And where I really see HomePod Mini excelling is it, it has an S5 chip in it. This is basically an Apple Watch chip powering a speaker and mm-hmm. it, it really eradicates all those bluetooth issues that the first generation homepod had because i mean what better chip than to use than the apple watch chip the apple watch is the king of bluetooth it's probably the 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 best integration we've ever seen with a bluetooth device in history yeah i and, would agree yeah so it, it's really about apple i think they're starting with a good foundation in terms of the silicon that they're putting in these things and if they could keep that trend moving forward um, there's definitely something good on the horizon. You know, we saw Apple drop support for A8 devices uh, yeah. remarkably quick after releasing the HomePod with an A8 chip in it. So that kind of tells you of the direction they were looking and then the silicon that they decided to put in the HomePod, the OG HomePod. It was really ahead of its time, so to speak. Yeah, Definitely. You know, we have Joe Rosenthal from Mac Rumors weighing in on the current beta cycle. Apple released fifth betas of iOS 14.5, iPadOS 14.5, WatchOS 7.4, the whole works. TVOS is also in there. He was weighing in. He said it's been 48 days and counting, probably two to three weeks more at minimum until the final release. It's a long beta cycle. Um, at this point, we're, you know, we're over 50 days uh, in terms of 
of the iOS 14.5 beta cycle, and it's packed with a bunch of new features um, as far as blocking app tracking, new Find My support. Um, what do you think about this? Do you think Apple's just waiting to release a new iPad and it's going to ship with iOS 14.5? Well, I'm... I believe so. I believe they can either do two things here, right? Because sometimes software has to go along with products, and that's the key here. If Apple was to hold an event in April, which is now rumored to be, then we should expect the software to release most likely during the event for support for those new products. Maybe, uh, as we know, AirTags are looming. Uh, we don't know if that's going to happen here shortly. We've been hearing for that from that forever about those um, but it, it's all, it all depends on, on, on Apple's uh, events and product uh, release schedule. Uh, in my opinion, if they do, if they're not going to re be releasing an iPad shortly, um, then the, pro the software could most likely hit devices within the next two weeks, I believe, uh, no later than that. Uh, but then again, that all depends on what Apple is going to do in terms of product releases. Believe it or not, it's, I've seen it kind of interesting that Apple has kept the items tab within iOS beta <laughs> since beta 4 and beta 5 without any sort of function to it. Because we don't know, we, I mean, we know what it's capable of doing, obviously, um, but uh, we don't have the product that we know it's there for. Yeah, you know so, uh, yeah, two generations, two betas ago, <laughs> which is four weeks ago, uh, we saw the items tab finally resurface because it was in the code. We just couldn't see it. It resurfaced mm -hmm. uh, in terms of an actual button that you can toggle on the bottom. Um, and it mentioned that, hey, this will be this will sort of be the place in the Find My iPhone app for all your, your um, Find My enabled devices. That's all it says, quote, Find My enabled devices. It also says it works with Beat headphones. Now, I wasn't clear uh, if those are existing Beats wireless headphones or what I've exactly around the with the software. I've, I've tried to do as much as I could to try to pair any Apple product or Beats product to this items tab. It just wasn't happening. Um, Interesting. I think this is not going to be unlocked until the final software is shipped and the product that it's meant for is out there or at least looming to be released before the software is out. So, I mean... Like I said, it all depends. It all depends on what Apple is going to do with AirTags. Uh, keep in mind, AirTags is also one of those products that Apple has to be very careful with because it is an items uh, identifier, right? Mm -hmm. And this can be used for stalking someone or so something like that. Definitely. So that's a big that's a big responsibility on Apple's shoulder on how to manage and handle this situation. Um, uh, maybe even Apple has AirTags out there now, and that's why we see this uh, tab in the beta. Um, because maybe some developers do have them in hand to try to give some feedback to Apple on how to sort that privacy situation out as well. Who knows? Yeah, we're definitely expecting an Apple event to occur sometime next month in April um, after Prosser and many others <laughs> fooled us with the the 23rd date. I think Prosser seems to think that uh, that all of them were getting played by Apple, that Apple's sort of found the person who's been leaking this information and is now feeding them incorrect information and adds to that sort of can, that could be the case sort of play with the leak community here but it's important we are expecting an, an event in april new ipad pros are expected to make an appearance air tags presumably they're starting to feel like air power yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes uh, an exactly. ipad mini uh, perhaps an apple tv 
And Prosser is even saying as a wild card, we might see a new iMac, even though that's not a lot of other rumors suggest that's later this year. I think that's a lot year. of products. Yeah. I think that's a lot of products for one event. I mean, uh, that the was last my two thought, events. Exactly. Yeah, the last two events we've seen what three products at the most being released by Apple. I mean, I mean, I think AirTags is going to be one of those must mm -hmm. or definites on, on an Apple event. Matter of fact, we've never seen an April event. I don't believe we've ever seen an April event. Yeah, it's been ever. at least a Have decade we? and since the Apple yeah. event. The last time there was an April event, um, as far as Apple events go, it was in I believe April eighth, two thousand two thousand ten, when they showed it's off a long time ago. When they, yeah, they showed off iOS 4. It was a preview of yeah. iOS 4, and that was when they renamed it to iOS. It was no longer iPhone OS. And yep. So that oh, was yeah, been a decade. It's, it's Over been a, a decade, long, yeah. long time. So an April event could be a possibility, definitely could be a possibility. It's just been such a long time. I just think it's too many products. I, I don't... I want the new IMAX to come out because I really want one. Oh, as a creator, <laughs> um, it's so important, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an important tool. Um, but especially with the uh, new Apple Silicon, of course, it's going to be ridiculously fast. Um, but I don't think we're going to see that many products. iPad Mini, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, I'm not even sure if that's even going to be a thing. Um, I think I think AirTags, uh, maybe, maybe iPads, and in my opinion, it's what we could see, and maybe iMacs. Other than that, I don't think anything else will be dropping, honestly. Yeah, that was my thought exactly, and we talked a little bit about this on the show. You know, at, Apple made the transition to these virtual events, obviously, well, during the onset of COVID, and they sort of kept that trend for all of 2020, and it allowed them to speak more in depth uh, when it comes to the products and the software and things like that, um, and and the events were, were just as long but more in depth as far as specifications for products and software features and things like that. So I really see Apple keeping this trend at least for the first quarter of, of 2021 as far as showing us a few products or features at a time and then really going in-depth as far as demoing them and, and talking specifically about the numbers, the features, things like that. And I like when they do that because those are some of the details that they tend to gloss over in the in-person events because they want everything to be yeah. exciting and be you know ads and videos and you know marketing this and that, mumbo-jumbo. So I, I love these these product deep dives. Yeah, me too. Apple is a genius at these uh, virtual events. They they do it so well. Um, I, I do. I'd wish this would still be a thing even after after this whole situation with the pandemic, uh, because it really uh, makes it them well. more accessible. It makes the events yeah. more accessible. Things yeah. like WWTC. You know, not every not everybody is able to obtain a ticket. First of all, and the people that can. A lot of them can't afford the two thousand dollar ticket, and That's so right. it's one of those things where, as Tim Cook stated last year, we want to bring the conference to as many people as possible, and by doing it in a virtual way, that's the best possible way you can do that. They had all the yep. all the sessions were virtual, and I, last year, and I definitely think that should be in place because it really helps developers from all around the world uh, really get in on this ecosystem as far as development, and it, and it, it's exponential in terms of driving. That, that innovation that we expect from Apple products. I agree. So following the new rumors of an upcoming iPad Pro in April, 9to5Mac found references of an A14X chip hidden in the iOS 14.5 code. So this is the fifth beta that we just talked about. 
Apple is referring internally to this chip as 13G. It references a GPU chip called 13G, which is currently not in use among all the currently available iOS devices. Based on previous chip naming schemes, 9to5Mac said 13G is, in fact, the A14X SoC system on chip, a variant of the A14 Bionic. So this is insinuating that this is more so a variant of the A14 than it is the M1. But they're all kind of the same thing, to be quite honest. It says, according to research, 9to5Mac said, we also found, quote, the A14X is based on the T8103, which is the code name for Apple M1, used in the first Apple Silicon Max, end quote. So it looks like this kind of corroborates the rumors that we heard from Bloomberg, Mark Gurman of Bloomberg. He said the iPad will, quote, have an updated processor that is on par with the faster M1 chip, end quote. He also mentioned that Apple may obtain Thunderbolt support this year, which would be revolutionary in terms of display uh, compatibility oh, yeah. and data transfer speeds. We, we spoke on last week's show about how revolutionary it would be to to walk around with your iPad and one of those pocket hard drives, the SSD, and maybe edit footage off of an SSD on an iPad. I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah, that that's, would be that's amazing. That's really that the goes virtual back, editing studio. That, that goes back to our conversation earlier. If this chip is powerful enough, Final Cut on board, that's pretty much everything you're going to need out there, honestly. Yeah, and, and I mean... If this is this truly is the M1 architecture making its way to the iPad, there's no excuse not to have Final Cut Pro, Logic Pro. I mean, yeah, this exactly. this chip is made, you know, right right off the, the assembly line for these Pro apps for Mac. It'll be interesting to see if Apple just slaps an M1 in there exactly and then calls it the A14X. Because that could that be would, a possibility. That would mean that the iPad would ship with crazy amount of memory compared to what's currently out right now i mean the ipad max is out at what six gigabytes of of ram right now if these if pre-configured models shipped with eight gigs that in itself would be revolutionary for the ipad which is already a champion uh at memory management so it, it really it will really be interesting because if apple just takes an m1 shoves it in an ipad and rebrands it as a14x that means that guess what that Rosetta 2 transition layer is in there. So could we see apps that are truly cross-platform? Could we see iPad OS 15, where I can now port universal Mac apps from my Mac to my iPad? And maybe if I can't use those apps in full screen, I'm using them as widgets. These are start, these are some of the things we start to think about. So it, it, the future mm-hmm. looks incredibly bright for the iPad. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I agree 100%. It's going to be crazy. I'm excited for this next iPad, honestly. You know, I want to ask you, I'm sure you've seen these Justin Long Intel ads. What do you think of these ads? They're poking fun at Apple. They're saying, hey, <laughs> Apple's not for gamers. Yeah. All this nonsense. What are some of your thoughts well, there? It's kind of funny because um, most Macs still run on Intel. So they're kind of bashing their own stuff, <laughs> you know? I mean, in a way, they're kind of bashing their own stuff because most Macs still run Intel. These Apple Silicon didn't happen to just recently. So, um you know, it's all about marketing. I guess they try to flip the script on Apple, but, you know, we'll see what happens at the end. I'm pretty sure the Apple Silicon will be overpowering uh, Intel uh, from here on out, as you we've think, seen. And it's it's pretty undeniable at this point that it'll prevail. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it would prevail. As far as a true market competitor, even at the to say the least. Um, you know, these ads were interesting to me because, as you stated, you know, Apple's been making Intel computers for for 15 years, and they're still Forever, making it. Yeah. They're still making Intel <laughs> yep. computers. We're in the midst of a transition, a two-year transition, mm-hmm. to complete, you know, proprietary Apple's own SOCs. Um, and yeah. that began with M1. We're not even halfway through that two-year transition to We're Apple Silicon even. across is, Apple's entire line. Yeah. This is a, a, a little glimpse of what's going to come. Exactly. And Intel's kind of already shaking in its boots, and that's evidenced mm-hmm. by these ads. I mean, this is M1 is Apple's lowest of the low. This is the, yeah. people, this is the, people this talk the beginning. It's funny. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this is the lowest possible measure of what an Apple chip can be, and it's blowing a lot of the other guys out of the water. This is a low-power high efficiency chip and it already has intel shaking it's on the five nanometer process which intel isn't expected to reach for for at least three to five years i mean they're still shipping they're still trying to crack seven nanometer which is something we saw on the iphone 10s back in 2018 so it's it really shows that that intel was resting on their laurels so to speak and and when they you know when they say things like you know the, the mac is for the game or the mac isn't for the gamers that's definitely true, but that's Apple's failed attempt at implementation for the games. Apple Arcade is not what the gamers want. And no, so it's it's really, to me, this ad sells to prospective buyers. More sells. It does a better job at selling PC hardware versus telling viewers why Intel is better than Mac. Because it's not really... Yeah. You can't compare silicon to computers. Right. And, and that's, that's evidenced that's by the fact true. that that the, that Macs, many Macs still have Intel-based processors in them. Intel will sing on a Mac. It, it's it doesn't. It's not like Intel chips perform better on PCs. There's just more hardware options on PC that are maybe more conducive to people who game or people that need two-in-one flexible displays or things like that. But when it comes down to the key features that people really come to expect, professionals, people that want to get work done, it really comes down to, I mean, battery life, efficiency, and performance. Those are the three most yep. fundamental things, and that's why most professionals are making their way to the Mac if they haven't already. Um, yeah, so I'm, in, I'm on that. I'm on that. I'm on that fence right now. Yeah, I'm waiting for the MacBook Pro. You wait. Yes, for the, So it's interesting, uh, Pat Gelsinger. Uh, he held uh, a virtual event earlier this week, and he's the CEO of Intel. And he said that Intel is shifting its focus uh, towards the foundry business. They want to manufacture chips for other companies in the Valley. Um, and he's saying, we're going to court Apple as a customer. So uh, Harry McCracken on Twitter, he was tweeting about this, and he said, he was kind of poking fun at this. He said, quote, the age of the Intel Mac might, might not be over just yet, end quote. You know, this is kind of funny because... Now, Intel's CEO is saying they're going to vet Apple, you know, as a foundry partner to manufacture Apple's chips for them after they just spent, you know, the past few months delivering the smear campaign on Apple. So it's kind of an interesting relationship that these two companies have. And this is all while Apple is continuing to manufacture Intel MacBooks. That's what was so interesting to me. I saw the ads and, you know, they were funny. I was like, wait. You're kind of bashing your own products in a way because mm-hmm. Apple is probably one of your biggest customers, and uh, most Macs still run on Intel. So I don't think it was the right approach. I don't think what they were trying to do with that, but we'll see. Very interesting stuff. 
Now it's time for a very special portion of the show. Are you ready? It's called Get to Know the Pro. We're going to ask you a series of 10 questions. You're going to have to answer them as quick as you can. Are you ready to go? Oh, I'll try. Let's go. Get to Know the Pro. I would say, come on down, like you're on a game show. Number one, two of them have to go, iPhone, iPad, or Mac. Two of them have to go. You can only live with one. Oh, my God. Only live with one. I have to live with iPhone iPhone? iPhone. Number two, silver, space gray, or gold? Gold. Three, trackpad or mouse? Trackpad. Would you rather live without Wi-Fi for a year or have an iPad mini be the only device you're allowed to use for six months? It's, it's the latest one, but it's a cellular model. I'd rather live with the iPad mini. Okay. okay. That would be a nightmare, uploading all your videos on that. Over cellular. <laughs> yeah. Number yeah. five, Spotify or Apple Music? Ah, honestly, Apple Music. Why? Quickly. Because of the ecosystem that I'm living in. Nice. <laughs> Number six, one has to go Instagram or Reddit? Oh, Instagram. Bye. And, and number seven, aux cable or Bluetooth all the things? Bluetooth all. Number eight, AirPods Max. Overall, win or fail? Oof, love them. Win. Win. Okay. Number nine, Pages or Microsoft Word? Microsoft Word. And number 10, Apple TV Remote, yay or nay? Oh, my God, no. Hate it. <laughs> you hate it? They need to fix it. They need to fix it. It's, that's been quite a virtu- my controversial cop- topic on this show. I just use my iPhone. I'd rather just use my iPhone because <laughs> I can type on the iPhone if I have to type anything in the search. Yeah, I know it has the little Siri button, but I always press the Siri button before the menu button. When I'm trying to press the menu button, it's confusing to me. They should just ship everybody a, a dumbed-down iPod Touch that's always on with an always-on display. <laughs> That'd be cool, <laughs> but they're not going to do that. No, it comes in the There's box. There's rumors of a new rebranding for that remote, eh? Yeah, so Steve Moser over on Twitter, and he's an analyst over there for Mac Rumors. Um, he oh, was, yeah, I love he, his work. Yes. I follow him. I love Steve Moser. He, he posted on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting stuff in the tvOS code that we found on the fifth betas that were uh, seeded out earlier this week, and uh, he was noting that the TV button which is previously called the home button, has been renamed to the TV button. That was what everybody was calling it. And all reference to the Siri remote is gone. It's just called the Apple TV remote. It's no, no longer referred to as the Siri remote at all, anywhere in the code. It's All that verbiage has been completely removed. So it kind of dips into what we were talking about as far as does Apple have to, in order to improve Siri, do they kind of have to distance themselves from the Siri branding? Will they reveal a new assistant? that's better than ever, that has better features, that's... better integration. It's one of those things as Apple trying to distance themselves from Siri as they move on to something greater. Oh, that's a, that's a tough sell. I mean, Siri's, I know, like I mentioned before, Siri's been a tough a tough piece of software for Apple for a long time, in my opinion. I just see the, I can feel the struggle within the software. Yes. They try to find the right approach, uh, but they're just full in now. It just, I think it's just so hard to pull back now. Siri, believe it or not, even though it's not the most popular system out there, it's already engraved in the ecosystem as well. I mean, Definitely. that's what most Apple consumers just know. If you change that, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Apple doesn't usually make big changes drastically. If they do, it might be gradually. And, it, and when they do, it's it's something, it's it's important. It's an important change. They obviously, yeah. if they were to change seriously, they, Siri, they'd already have something else 
in the works that's years in ahead. the works yeah, yeah. And, and and also it, it feels like it's all mm-hmm. almost like siri in a way so that consumers don't feel it's like ios like you see that the icons pretty much look the same forever mm-hmm. um they take their time and they make drastic they make drastic change only once in a you know blue moon it doesn't happen it, the last major change honestly from the ui and ios was from ios 6 to ios 7 definitely that was pretty much it as far as aesthetics go yeah mm-hmm. well mr i device help i think it's been a wonderful show thanks for coming on thanks for chatting with us thank you for having me over man i appreciate it we should do this again definitely i'd love to have you on again in the future where can all the listeners find you let them know all the, all the listeners can find me. Well, YouTube is one of those big places you can find me. Uh, Instagram, I'm always on uh, Twitter. Twitter is a big place. It's uh, pretty much it. Twitter, awesome. Instagram, I help YouTube. Over on that's Twitter right. and YouTube, those are the two best places to find Mr. iDevice Help here. You can find me on Twitter at Bromshank. It's just my name. That's B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. Come on over, say hi, send in your questions for the show. We may answer them next week. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for unwrapping the tech of today, and we'll see you all again in the future.